So we're in our next message series, which is sonship. And, and don't be offended. This does, this does come out of Luke 15. Luke 15, uh, the prodigal son. And the prodigal was not the father. The prodigal was a son. I'll help you explain that. I uh, had several people in the past come up, well, I thought the prodigal was always the father. No, it's not the prodigal's son. It's the prodigal son. But in this, ladies, don't get offended. God is not confused about gender, by the way. He, he doesn't make accidents. He creates everybody intentionally. And so you're a, you're a son, ladies, in the sense of God. It's sonship because he sees you through the sun. It's the lens from which he sees you. But guys... You're the bride, so, but God's not confused, so don't you be confused, all right? I don't want any confusion. You're a man or you're a woman, and you already know it because it was given to you at birth, all right? So, you know, preconce- at conception, actually, but we won't go there. You were already an idea in the heart of God before you were conceived. Let me just say that. That's scripture. Well, so God, in this story, you will see a comparison between a son and a servant. There's a difference between a son and a servant. And we're, we're called to serve, but we are not servants. Nor are we sons because we serve. But because we're sons, we serve. So I'm going to break down that riddle for you, and I'm gonna, we're going to get really down to the fine hairs on how this thing works because identity is very important for every human being that exists on earth. And if you're breathing right now, you exist. And so identity is a very important factor in your life, for your family's, for your family's life, and in, in fact, every generation that has gone before you and will come after you. Your identity and discovering what your true identity is, is the most important thing to build off of. Next, is, as well as why we have our next steps, which is purpose. Why do I exist? Okay, I realize I exist, but why? And then third is, well, where do I belong? And that's why if God's calling you to be here at Thrive, then you already belong here because he says you are here. Now it's an, a, a receiving all the things that are in the package of what he has called you to be a part of, to belong to, to find purpose, and to discover why, why you even exist, or I'm sorry, the, who you really are as an existence, which is identity. So we're here today talking about sons and daughters, sonship, as a birthright. It's a birthright. It's not about how we behave. You can't do enough. You can't be good enough. And how, it's, how this affects our marriages is if we have our identity in the wrong source, we will always have conflict within our relationships. So if, if, my, if my identity is lost in my spouse, when my spouse is not treating me well, I will be frustrated. I will, not, I will be discouraged and my identity will be jacked up, for lack of better words, because my source is not fulfilling everything that I need and vice versa. Because in reality, you, don't, you will never find a spouse that can fulfill all of your needs. This whole thing, you complete me? No. No, you don't. You never could. And I don't complete you. I never could. But once we get our identity in the right source, now I can support you, love you, encourage you, build you up, and be the support system, the helpmate that God has designed me to be. Because we're helpmates to our spouse. But we're not the source. And neither are they. And how, what's going on in their life can't control my life. But it does whenever my identity is lost in them. So when my spouse is having a bad day, as long as my identity is in the Lord, 
then it's okay for him to have a bad day. It's okay for your partner to have a bad day. Everybody go with that? Everybody day. So the main needs of a male and a female in a, in a friend in a relationship are this. A woman needs security. They need to know that they are in a safe place and that their man is providing a secure environment for their family, for their kids. They're going to put food on, food on the table. They're going, to, they're going to guide them well, make the right calls. Number one a man, they need for a man is honor. Like a man needs to feel like his spouse, his partner, his relationship partner uh, uh, honors him in his tone, in her tone, in her tone, in her tone, in her tone, <laughs> in her tone, in her suggestions, in her implications. But then also, so does she in the way we approach them, the way we approach her, the way we, we talk, or the way we make decisions, they're in likeness of the needs of her. The decisions we make are thinking about what's best for her, not just us, and for the whole family for that matter. But when a woman feels insecure, her, her desire, her, her first instinct is to find security, which is through control. Anybody ever say, woman, you're too controlling? Well, whose fault is that possibly? And then a man feels dishonored, and all of a sudden, he loses his mind and causes even more insecurity, and now you have a dishonored and an insecure individual relationship just compounding interest in negativity. Number one, there's four things I'm going to give you. Isn't it great already? Number two is communication, and men, we love to communicate, right? How's your day? Good. Well, what'd you do? Good. I didn't know, that didn't, that didn't know, that's not a statement. Yes, it is. Good. Like, that, that all of a sudden, they feel insecure. Wait a minute. There's something that they're hiding. There's something that they don't want to tell me. Obviously, something is not good, but he's saying it's good. And, it's, and then insecurity kicks in because there's not enough communication. And then, and then the next thing she needs is affection, non-sexual touching. I know this is hard, guys, because all of a sudden, she grabbed my hand. I know what that means. Because you're living out of your number two need, which is sex. Men, honor, sex. And then you get it wrong, and she's like, I, I'm just trying to hold your hand. Can you just hold me? Can you just love me? Like, that is love. It's not love. What? It is love. Communication issues. Now we're breaking down. I just want you to hold me. That's not my language. I, I thought you started talking about something else. And then, and then. No, <laughs> And then number four, she needs godly leadership. Godly leadership. The number, number three, the man need of a man is, is kindred fellowship. Like, can you just go have fun? Can we just go have fun? Can we watch the Super Bowl together and you act like you like it? Can we go at my wood shop and you build, help me build something, hold a tool for me and look really cute over there while you're doing it? Like, like can we go fishing together? Like kindred fellowship, like fun. A man needs this. He's not like, he's not having a lack of friends. He's saying, you are my friend. Would you join me, friend? And so it feels rejected, rejection whenever he's like, she's like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, it's not about what you want to do. It's about what you're willing to give away in life in order to have a healthy relationship. Oof. Saving marriage is already. We're going to have an altar call after this. Then we're actually going to go into the message. And, then, and then, then he needs domestic support. Domestic support. 
domestic support, meaning, hey, can you, I don't need you to cook every meal, but would you have a meal for me? Because I might forget to eat if you don't feed me. Or, hey, man, could you do my laundry? Because I don't know how to do it. I'm a hot mess. I just need somebody to help me with some laundry. Or, man, I built a house. Could you turn it into a home, though? Because that really helps me. I don't know how to do that. I don't have, I don't have that. But that's, that, that's your area. Could you, could you help me? But then women need godly leadership. And when they don't have godly leadership, they feel insecure because they don't know if you can make sound decisions to lead them and their family, and then control begins to rise back up, and then they, can't, they won't allow you to lead men because godly leadership comes from spending time with who? God. With God. So when I'm hearing from heaven and the Father is speaking to me because of my relationship and intimacy with God... He begins to guide my footsteps and my decisions, and all of a sudden things begin to work. It aligns with him, and it brings comfort to her. Security. So let's look at Luke 15, because it's important for us to grab this step. There's three weeks of this that we're going to grasp in who we really are so that we can understand who we live from and not just for. And so in Luke 15, it's that you will see that the father gives three, the son three gifts when, he re, when the son returns. A robe, a ring, and shoes or sandals. He gives him sandals. And so today we're going to talk about a robe of righteousness. And notice how many times you see the word son or servant in Luke 15 right here. 17, verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many... Of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. And remember, when we show God our faithfulness and doing what his word says, he shows up and compounds with more fruitfulness and blessing. He, he wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing even more so to others. And so what he's saying, even this servant in mind, in mind was saying, who is a son actually, says even, my, even the servants of my father have bread enough, meaning, meaning when God begins to supply because we're doing our part out of obedient heart because of who we are, when we bring in back what belongs to God, he begins to show up and he says, hey, I'm going to give you enough for you, for your family, for, for others. You have enough to spare for others. This is, this is what we're trying to help you see. This is why God gives his house vision to fulfill because he's saying, if I can find some hearts that are willing to commit to the vision that I have, I will finance it through them. God doesn't need your money. It belongs to him already anyway. What he's looking for is some people who, are, who will steward what belongs to him so he can actually back it and finance it. Let me give you a couple of testimonies. This, this lady, just after the service, I gave my testimony, our testimony, after the first Wednesday on the 2nd of February, 2022, Allie and I were praying. We got our kids together about 9 o'clock. And we, we had come to an amount that was very similar, not exact. And so we, we always go with the higher number. You can't outgive God. And so we got on our app. We got on our website, on their giving website, livewithpurpose.church. And we're, I put the number in and we say, okay, it's been a very expensive year. We, we have some investments that we're working on for the future. Uh, we got our kids together and we said, okay, Lord, this only works. You're going to have to show up. This is, this is a risk for us. It took a little while to get there. Like even, yeah, I'm your pastor, and it took me a while to just say, hey, I agree with you, Lord. And so we did. We got our kids together, and my, my little son loves to pray. He closes his eyes, and he, he's, 
That guy can little as three years old, he can close his eyes, and for as long as you'll pray, he'll be there closing his eyes. And then Naomi's over there, and and Allie and I were all holding hands, and so we pray and we pray this prayer and just ask the Lord to bless it and in our house and our church and our the people who are coming to church and our project as well, our investment. I kid you not. We go to bed. I wake up the next day. At midnight, 12 colon zero zero, the first thing that happened the next day, $500 short, God doubled, God doubled the, the amount that we gave, the first fruit offering that we gave, $500 short. By the end of the next day, it was $500 over an increase, double, doubling what we gave. By today, it's already tripled. He's already tripled what we gave him that night at 9 p.m. on 2222 tripled it in this short amount of time. I tell this testimony after, during first service. Right just 20 minutes ago, a lady stops me. She said, okay, on Vision Sunday, I gave $1,000, and then I committed to giving $200 each month. Wednesday, my boss comes, calls me in. I got a $20,000 a year raise. Some of y'all are excited. Some of y'all are like... How come that don't happen for me? <laughs> and God be like, because you, <laughs> you won't make room for me. Anyway, no offense, but it's real. I told you Wednesday night on first Wednesday that God is just looking for people to finance his vision through. And we get to choose to hear from heaven and respond in obedience and say, God, I'll let you use me. Because ultimately, it's him that's doing the financing. You'll never miss a thing, I promise you. But you, what you will get to see is God's faithfulness and his fruitfulness in your life. And you'll get to see something from a different perspective than you've ever seen before. And some of you are like, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to prepare for that. Which is why we have our Financial Hope Workshop. Pastor Cass and I and Deb are rotating and leading that. It starts this Wednesday. You can check this little QR code. You can get plugged in. I'm really encouraged about the amount of people that are coming. Even some from outside of the church are coming. That's great. People are tired of living in debt. Who loves, to, who loves to live a life and where your, parent, your kids are always seeing you stressed and arguing because you're in debt? There's no hands up. This is the first time ever. Well, how about we give, give you some tools so that you can begin to work your way out of that situation and struggle? Because debt is not, an op, it's not mandatory. It is optional, though. And you get to choose. Do I check, yes, I want debt, or no, I don't want debt, or how do I work out of that? And we're going to give you those tools. So that you can live the blessed life. And so we're going to teach you how to steward, but also so that you can teach your kids how to steward money so that you can have a generation of blessing as God has already designed for each and every one of us. How can we live in debt and in poverty and yet we have the king who has all the resources, a father who is a king with all the resources? It makes no sense. So it comes back to identity. And the prodigal son is saying, even my father's employees have more than enough, but because I'm doing life my own way, I perish with hunger. Because I, I, I'm choosing how life should be instead of letting my father's, my father's favor and blessing and how he holds his house dictate how I, how I live my life. There's a difference here. And remember, he's in a pig pen. Like he's sitting there eating the slop that pigs were eating and throwing this fit internally. And he came to himself. And he's telling himself this story. He's, he's making up, here's what I'm going to say. Here's the conversation. 
And, and literally it said, but when he came to himself. Anybody ever finally got out of your pit of life, your pig pen, and said, what am I doing? Like, the decisions I've, I've been making, why am I doing that? Like, it's a, I've hit rock bottom. Maybe, maybe pig pen eating is not a rock bottom for you, but it would be for me. And I feel like I was there. About 27, 28, I finally realized, what am I doing blaming everybody else for my situation? Who, who cares what I feel like someone has done to me? It's my response that dictates how I will live and what will control me from here forward. When I came to myself, I started making decisions that lined up with my Heavenly Father so that myself could actually change. When I came to my, when he came to himself, he says, man, even my father's employees have bread enough and even more to spare. That's, that's where I want to live. Bread enough and more to spare. He says, I will arise, verse 18, and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's sitting here preparing his message. He's going to tell his father, listen, I'm so terrible. You just, you just treat me like this and, and, and just let me have some food that's not in the pig, pig pen. Wow, what a great speech. And, then, and sometimes we just do that. Lord, if you'll just accept me, if you just have me, I, I won't ever do that again. And if you'll just, just take care of this situation, I'll be your humble servant and I'll always, always just do. That's not what God is asking. It's not what he's designed us for. Look, he's practicing what he's going to say. And verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And by the way, our heavenly father is always looking with compassion for prodigals to come home. And when he sees them coming, when he sees the prodigals coming, he looks with compassion and he runs and he grabs a hold of them, kisses them, and, and it, all of a sudden, he breaks our heart with the amount of mercy and love and grace that he has for us. But it also shows us, if we'll just make a tiny step towards the Lord, he'll make an even greater step towards us. And it's in all things. In all things. In verse 21, he says, And the son said to him, I'm going to give him my speech. Here's my presidential moment right here. I get to decide how my father's going to treat me. Somebody has said that prayer to God. I heard the laugh. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. But the father said to his servants, notice the father just said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't even listen. He didn't even acknowledge what his son had to say. Because he had so much compassion inside himself, within himself. But the, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put on the ring, put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I've got something waiting on you. Here it is. Here's a robe. I got a ring and here's some sandals. And all three of these mean something very important for you and I spiritually who are in Christ according to our identity so that we can walk fully in who we're designed to be. We're going to cover that, but this week we're just talking about this robe and, and bring the fatted calf here's where it gets good come on there's a Super Bowl party tonight bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son that was dead and is alive again but he is lost he was lost rather and is found and they began to be merry they began to celebrate they just celebrated notice the son didn't even get to finish his speech 
That was a great message, but I don't know what you're talking about. Here's what I'm going to do, the father says. And you need to know that every gift he gave him was a gift you give to a son and not a servant. And in fact, these are things that you take from a servant and that you give to a son. And Jesus also made similar statements in part of the, a part of his gospel, such as John 8 and 35. It says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And Galatians 4 says this, coming up, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, in John, he's talking about being a slave to sin. In Galatians, he's talking about being a slave to the law. In John 15, 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is, is doing, but a son does. Oh, a son, because he spends time with his father, can hear from the throne room of grace, a throne room of heaven, and get, get ideas, get secrets, and get thoughts, and all of a sudden gets, gets direction or leadership from the father to begin to lead their household. Because they're not a servant. Going backwards, he knows what his master is doing. Here's what God is doing in my family. I see it. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for helping me diagnose the real situation and not just looking at the circumstances. Help me to understand. Thank you for helping me understand what's going on behind the scenes so I can address what's really, what's really, what the real problem is. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the answers that I need so that my household can feel secure and safe and my wife and I don't fight. I'm giving her good, godly leadership. She feels secure. She's honoring me. She's going to go fishing with me now. And she's going to clean the house. Well, I went too far. <laughs> Isaiah 61.10 says, I will great, and, I, and, and we're going to hold her hand. I'm going to hold her hand because that's what she wants. Hold her hand and cuddle. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of here it is, the, the Bible is defining the Bible, a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Uh, he has covered me with the robe. As soon as you, get, you receive Jesus Christ, he says, here you go, here's a robe of righteousness. Now, I don't feel it. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. No, no, that's not who I am. No, it's not. You're righteous. But God, I don't treat me like a son. I'm a servant. I don't deserve it. You're righteous. So righteousness means right standing with God. You're now in right standing with God. So number one, the question is, is it earned or is it a gift? Because how you see this, where you see this, where you live in this changes everything about how you live from this. Uh, so many will claim it is a gift, however, you live a life stressed because you make it look like you're trying to earn it. And even more so, when you live on the earned it side, you make others, especially your spouse, try to earn something that was given to you. It's freely given. So freely you give. And, it's true. and so it will change everything about how you see yourself. It'll change everything about how you experience and see God. It will change everything about how you see 
your performance. It will change everything about how you see others. It will change everything about the way you treat yourself, how you treat others, and even how you treat God. It will change depending on which side of the oar you live. It will, it will change your life if you grasp that your righteousness or right standing with God is 100% a gift and none of it is earned. There is nothing the prodigal son did in order to deserve or earn these three gifts that the father came and gave. And prodigal, here's where you get an understanding that, well, you know who the prodigal is, not the father, but the son. Prodigal means wasteful living. This is going to be even bigger. It means living without restraint. Remember Proverbs 29, 18. This is why we need vision. This is why we need vision for our families and for our lives. This is why God has vision for his church because without vision, Proverbs 29, 18 says, people are unrestrained. Meaning, without vision, you're living wasteful lives. You're just doing and doing and toiling and toiling, and you think, I've got a good life. Great. And that might be your destruction. Oh, you know what? I don't need to give unrestrained probably giving it somewhere else and you're losing it anyway. You might as well give it to a place that you can get a good return on investment. Oh, I'm good. Luke 15, 19. It says, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Here it goes. This is what he said. Remember, I'm just reminding you what he said. Make me one of your hired servants. No. To say no longer worthy in there must have, must point, it points to the fact that he must have thought he was once worthy. Like, well, I went and did bad, and so I'm, I was good. I'm no longer worthy. But while I was here in the house, and I was, I was home with you, Daddy, I was, I was good. I was worthy. But now that I've been out here and living my own way and doing my own, my, making my own decisions, and I've ended up in the pig pen, I'm unworthy. And many of us come in to the house of God. <laughs> we come in here, and we think the same thing. I'm unworthy to come in and get close to God. I'm unworthy to raise my hands and worship God. I'm unworthy to even go to church. There's people that have come here and are here that one time didn't even think they could could come into the church. Come on. I'm unworthy. By the way, you are the temple of God. I'm unworthy. Guess what? The next week you come in, you did five out of seven devote days of devotion. You even added a little touch of journal, and now you're getting really spiritual. You fasted lunch one day, and now you feel worthy. You come in that next weekend, and you feel worthy. Guess what? You're still unworthy. You could read a devotion every day. You could say the most spiritual things. You could fast 365 days out of the year. You could journal. You could do all those great things, and still you're unworthy. But God did send his son to die for you because you're worth it. You're worth it. You are the vision that great gave him restraint. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't the cross he was looking at. He was looking at you and what he could do through you. And he says he will do greater things. You will do greater things than he ever did. But it's going to be requiring you catching vision of who you are, the identity, your identity in Christ, and his vision for your life. And then you've got to be willing to release the things that he's asking you to release so that you can grasp the things he's trying to give you. You can't, anybody good at catching a football with both hands closed? No. When I stayed at home, I was a good boy. Now that I'm out, I'm no longer. Do you know what the problem with this is? Is a performance mentality. 
And sadly, many believers have a, a performance mentality. This is where religion starts to kick in. This is why so many people are hurt from the church, because it was a performance in order to be pleasing. No? No? It's because I'm a son, I do. Romans 4, 6 says this, Just as David also described, describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Imputes means to credit, to attribute to. It, mean, it literally means to cancel a balance. It says, I'm in, he imputed righteousness. Blessed is this man who God imputes, credits, righteousness apart from works. Like you didn't do anything. You couldn't have done enough. But he imputed, he accredited righteousness to you. And so he says, you're blessed. Imputes, to, uh, sorry, it's, think about this. Think about being in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a conflict. And, and you realize, you know what, this conflict's not worth it. I'm not going to get engaged in this. However, I care enough to change the environment, to change the dynamic of this conversation. And just say, hey, you start speaking life. No, that's, that, that's not how our marriage is. No, no, you are a blessing. No, no, you're an angel. No, no, we're good. No, no, this is not going to destroy us. And yet the other person struggles with accepting that because internally they're dealing, all they can focus is, is the pain and the hurt and, and the destruction and the issues and the, and the trial. And their whole vision is that right there. It's the same thing. When God is saying from an external source, you're righteous. And internally, you're having this debate and this argument. No, 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 I'm not because I have shame and I have guilt and I've done this and I've done that and, I've done, and, I, and I have condemnation. No, no, I'm not righteous. Here's your robe. You're righteous. No, 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 no. When the love, poverty is when there's something greater on the outside of us than what's on the inside of us. When love is greater on the outside of us and doesn't match the amount of love on the inside of us, all of a sudden we are poverty. And we try to tear everything down that's around us to bring it down to our level of love. But when we grasp the fact that we are righteous and that we are made from love and for love and our only place, source of love is God himself, and poverty doesn't exist. Therefore, it overflows into every domain of my life. So if I have poverty in some area of my life, I need to look into my heart. I need to look into the fact, why am I conflicted with this righteousness that God declares over me? Okay, yeah, we serve the Lord, and yes, we serve others, but you have to serve from a son and daughter mentality. I don't, I don't have to. It's who I am. It's my birthright. It's my DNA because he says I do. Because it's how he's designed me in the kingdom, I am. So it's not earned, it's a gift. Number two, don't listen to the accuser. I'm going to break down how God removes our iniquity and gives us a robe of righteousness. And so there's two Joshua's in the Old Testament. One just briefly, led the people out of the, out of the wilderness into the promised land, the Hebrew children, the Hebrew people. Uh, he, he rose up under Moses. He was Moses' successor. 
Then the second Joshua is a, was a high priest, and he led God's people, the Hebrew children, out of exile and back into the promised land. So in Zechariah, we're talking about Joshua 2, Joshua the high priest. In Zechariah 3, sorry, Zechariah 3 says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand. Your right hand is over here. It's my left. Right, your right hand to oppose him. Notice the right hand. Right hand of God is very important. And so, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the, the Lord who, was, who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua clothed with filthy garments and was, wait, was clothed with filthy, filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And look at this. Iniquity is in is not. Equius is where the root word of equity comes from. It means equal, unjust. And so God is saying, I'm removing your, your unjustness. But in reality, what... We're not equal with God. We're, we're not equal with God. So he says that he removes our iniquities, our just unjustness. And while he, that, that does have, a, uh, that does have a, a, a truth in the sense of at the cross, he's given us everything and freedom that we need to apply to our lives so that we don't have to walk in the iniquity, which is an, an innate internal, deep-rooted sin in our life, but we keep cycling towards certain sins, oftentimes from generations before us. However, he has given us the answer at the cross. But even deeper than that, let me take you on a different step. There were two trees in the garden, right? Tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And even the good things, like, I did really good at this. I just want to be good. I just want to, I just want to do good in life. Even that, even that is poverty from the life, the tree of life that God desires for us to live in. Let me say it this way. We can get so caught up in doing our own self-righteous acts that we become self-righteous within ourselves, that we lose our identity. We forget our identity is in Christ, and it's really the acts that he's asking us to do out of love out of, as a son. Oh, but I did really good. So it's still the same as evil. Because it's not what the Lord was asking you to do or designed you for. Oh, it's good. I told you we we're going to split some hairs. He's saying, I took away your filthy garments. So watch this track and as we track this point into Isaiah 64, 6. But we were all like an unclean thing. And all our, our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Oh, we were doing so good. Yeah. Standing ovation for you is still filthy rags because it wasn't what God was asking you to do. In fact, it was a distraction. It was the antithesis of what God was asking you to do. You still haven't made it over to the tree of life yet. And he says, but we're all like unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And the point is, even the good things that I have done to just be good are still filthy rags. They're filthy 
garments. They're still inequitable. They're still unequal with God. So he removes our iniquity. Check that. That's one thing. He removes our iniquity, and then he provides that he rebukes our accuser. So he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, as he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He removed our iniquity. He rebukes the accuser. Look at this in Revelation 12, 9. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world, or the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And some, there's theological debates on this because some think it happened at the beginning of the world. Some believe it took place, it will take place at the second coming of Christ. And yet others believe it took, it took place at the cross. But look at this. Remember Satan was at that right hand of the Father accusing the brethren, you and I. And then in Romans, which, Romans 8, which took place after the cross, after the resurrection, Paul was planting churches on a missionary journey. Romans 8, 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. So not only do you no longer have an accuser of the brethren sitting at the right hand of the Father, but you got the Son, you have the King of Kings, you have Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf so that you will hear from heaven so that he can provide his perfect will for your life. So that you can find the tree of life, he can bless your every decision, he can bless your family, he can create security, he can build up honor, because humility comes before honor, and we're only going to hear from the Lord when we start to humble ourselves and get into the right tree. And then men, women, you don't even realize you're following the Lord because you've just spent so much time listening to him, paying attention, and being intentional on the tree of life, and all of a sudden your steps are blessed because he's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. It didn't have to be this wow moment, big, huge, oh my gosh, I just had a, a roller coaster moment. It felt like waves, crashes of love just coming over me. It doesn't have to feel like that. It can. It could just be because I sat down and spent some time with the Lord and I worshiped him because he is, he's my father and I just, I just meditated on his word and his truth and all of a sudden, or maybe right here in worship, he started to make me, make me feel a little bit different and I started to pay attention to what he was saying and he gave me ideas that were outside of my own ideas and he gave me some things that scared me a little bit and so I just started to make decisions that way. Or maybe I'm just crazy, <laughs> but it's working out for me. <laughs> and that lady that got a $20,000 a year raise, <laughs> Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments. Remember, so he, he rebuked Satan. He removed our iniquities. And then he put that robe of righteousness. Look at this. That you may be rich and white garments. That you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness. Oh, no, no, I'm not righteous. No, 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 I'm not righteous. Because of the shame and the guilt and the condemnation won't allow you to accept the righteousness that you are. Therefore... It's hard to walk in the fullness of your identity. But he's taken that away. And he clothed you with righteousness. 
And he says, no, no, you're not like Adam and Eve finding out that you're naked anymore. No, I've clothed you. You didn't have to cover yourself in your own workings, in your own righteousness. No, I'm, I'm, I'm clothing you now. I'm covering you. Boy, there's so much in this. I'm rebuking the devourer because you're acting like a son. You're becoming a son now. So I'm going to cover you. You're stepping my way, and so I'm going to make even greater moves towards you. Gold here is not even talking about gold like you and I might think. Ephesians 2 gives us a a definition of what gold is, or being rich, rather, what being rich is. Ephesians 2 says that God is rich in mercy. He's saying, oh, when you really understand what riches riches are, you'll grow rich in mercy towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards the people who you feel like have wronged you because you'll realize they're just broken. They're just broken. Don't let broken people define you, give you identity when the one who puts broken people back together is desiring to give you the definition of who you are. They're just broken. Have mercy. Be rich in mercy. Because God is rich enough that he paid the price for our sin. Jesus was our substitution for what we deserve. And verse and number three is this, live like a son. So we don't serve because to earn favor or sonship. We are sons because we serve. I'm sorry, we are sons, so we serve. And don't choose the pig pen, the pits in life. How easy, how attractive is the pit? Nobody wants to be there, but everybody likes to go there. It's not attractive, but for some reason we find ourselves there over and over and over. It's a choice. It's a choice. You can see it and walk in it, or you can see it's like, I'm not going there. What do we need to do, Lord? Let me get in alignment with your word. This is also why we need a Thrive Tribe. This is why we need a small group. This is why we need people around us that can encourage us, pray for us, be with us, strengthen us. And can I say it this way? This is how we pastor people in this church is through our small groups. So if you feel like, oh, my, my, I'm not getting pastored, it's because you're not in a small group to get pastored. You're not on a team, a volunteer team, so that you can get pastored through the team. Oh, you're getting pastored options of being pastored. You just get to decide if you're going to receive those. Revelation 19.8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So there's a robe that I get when I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then when I get, in heaven, get to heaven, there's this fine linen white robe that God is going to put onto me, onside of me, on, on my, around me because of the righteous acts that I did from living in the right tree. Oh, that's good stuff, but it's a distraction from the God stuff that he's designed me to live in. But this feels good. It's safe, and I have control over this. He's not interested. He's not interested in that. Because there's so much more in his path. There's so much more when we follow him. There's so much more than what we're willing to settle for in this space. My performance doesn't make me righteous. What Jesus did on the cross made me righteous. I want to 
help you out a little relationally a little bit more if I haven't already started up enough hornets. It might, it might be better to show a little bit of mercy, live from righteousness, that when, when things get tense and when, when your, your mate is going through a rough patch, a rough season, a rough, a rough day, I'm not going to engage in that argument. It's, it's unfruitful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in the right tree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure my identity stays in the Lord, and I'm going to allow you to have a bad day. But when your bad day is over, we're going to come back around and talk about it. Because it may be that one of us or both of us are not getting our four major needs met, and we may need to talk about our relationship so we can get some things identified so that we don't have to stay in this pig pen. Because it's a choice. And maybe another, another way to release the kingdom of God and His righteous acts into the world is it's a hectic season. You're going to restaurants and there's not enough servers. There's not enough cooks. Every industry, it feels like there's not enough people that can move fast enough to, to fulfill my needs. I wish I had a button I could just press next. I wish I could turn them into a reel. Next, next, next. But instead, I have to sit here and wait and get frustrated because I can't get my ice cream fast enough. How about take a deep breath? And release a little mercy into the situation and then watch king watch kingdom work watch god do something get to experience the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven can i pray for you as always we just ask first what is the holy spirit saying to you father we just thank you so much for calling us sons declaring us sons, identifying us as sons and daughters of the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you're not distant and that you are near. Thank you that you are, in fact, here. Thank you that you want to speak to us. Thank you that you're not mute. Thank you that you want to guide us on your righteous path. So, Father, right now, I just pray that you help identify any issue, any struggle that's in the heart of any of your children that's causing conflict with their ability to receive that robe of righteousness and walk in the fullness thereof. If you need prayer for anything,